Hello, Fortune Seekers. The game market is thriving. Some may even say it's flooding. Where does X, Seekers of Fortune, fit in? Are we designed for the kitchen table, or will we land in the playmats of your local LGS? Or are we destined for the waste bin of history? We will find that out and more today in this episode of... Should we tell them, Danny? Tell them what? You know, the name for our new, our new name for the podcast? Maybe another episode. But I like, I mean, I don't like holding on to this. It's, it's burning me up inside, keeping this secret. Well, it's super secret, so I think you should keep it. Well, I think I should tell everybody that we are now the Super Secret Mega Moth Podcast. I think it's Mega Moth Studio Super Secret Podcast. Well, let me take that again. I think... <laughs> I think you nailed it in one. Let's move on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that and more on today's episode of the Mega Moth Studio Super Secret Podcast. Shh. Welcome to the show, Fortune Seekers. I'm your host, maker of games, popper of tarts, Joel Watts. And as always, I'm joined by... Danny. And I am slightly disturbed by that introduction. Yeah, and uh, you are listening to the Mega... <laughs> Let me get this straight, because this is our new name, and I need to get it down, so I'm going to say it a few times. You're listening to the Mega Moth Studios Super Secret Podcast. Yeah, I think that was pretty pretty spot on. There we go. So today is the first episode of that show, but it's actually the 10th episode, lucky number 10, of our podcast overall. So on last week's episode, episode nine, we discussed MVP or minimum viable product and how we use it to set expectations and attainable goals for ourselves and the people that we work with. If you wanna to listen to that episode and learn more of our thoughts on the subject, just uh, go back one week in either your YouTube playlist or on the uh, podcast feed through the app that you use to listen to podcasts. I think people call them podcatchers, Danny. How do you like that sound? Podcatchers. I don't really understand it, but if you say so, I believe you. Okay. Well, today's episode is episode 10, you know, which I think is very special for our game because X Seekers of Fortune, the X could stand for 10. It doesn't, but it could. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about our, uh, where we're going to talk about where we see X Seekers of Fortune fitting into the TCG and tabletop gaming market. If this is the first time you're ever hearing about the game X Seekers of Fortune, uh, please take a moment to check us out. We have quite a few social media streams to go through. So let me just start at the top of the list with TikTok. On TikTok, we are Megamoth Studios. On Instagram, we are X underscore Seekers underscore of underscore Fortune. On Facebook, it's just simply X Seekers of Fortune. And as always, you can Google us. If you Google X Seekers of Fortune, I believe the top three links on Google will be relevant to us. One of them being our website, megamothstudios.com. One of them being Tabletopia, where you can play our game and demo it with friends. And then I don't know what the last one is. Do you remember what the last one is that comes up when we Google? I think it was an Eventbrite for uh, 405 Brewing. Okay, so that one is actually irrelevant anymore. Unless you have a time machine, in which case you should definitely follow that link and come check it out. Yeah, Because yeah. that was a really fun event. Mm -hmm. And we are working on some new events, and you should definitely come to those if you are in the city where the event is. 
yes. And, you know, uh, we'll tease out some of those cities as we get those more locked down. But in general, you should be following us on any of those social media streams, and you're going to find up to the minute details about events we have. So you too can become a fortune seeker. So Danny, before we get into today's topic, you want to have a little question of the week? I mean, I feel like I'm obligated to at this point. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I think uh, the ink is drying on your contract now. So answer my damn questions. All right, Danny. That was very aggressive. (laughs) If we were... Uh-huh. <laughs> if we were a not if we hadn't created a game and we had wanted to start a podcast and we decided to start that podcast about food what food would you want to talk about weekend week out interesting mm-hmm. um hmm. well i mean it's kind of interesting you got to find something that's got enough depth and variety to it i don't know i feel like Cheese is the low-hanging fruit here. Mm-hmm. If not cheese, maybe the next lowest-hanging fruit is some kind of fruit. I'm not sure which one to go with. I feel like in a modern America, you could just say fruit and get away with it. I, I think like the nuance on fruit, like most people would just be like, well, okay, so that's apples and bananas. I saw this guy on TikTok who basically said that he didn't think that someone could name 23 different fruits. So uh-huh. can you? Wow. That okay. That's a good question. Uh, Twenty three is a really high number, though. <laughs> Let me see where I can start. Apples, okay. bananas, grapes, kiwis. Okay. Uh, You're at four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, here we. I got a question. Can I say multiple kinds of apples? Because there's Fuji apples. There's Macintosh apples. I, d- I just want to say I did it, and I did not name multiple types of apples. Ah, oh, darn it. Okay. I used distinct fruits only. You did this. Yeah, I did it because I was bored in my car outside of Jason's Deli. <laughs> did I say oranges already? No, you didn't. You've only or- said four fruits and oranges <laughs> wasn't one of them. You're at five. <laughs> orange, orange, I'm glad I had it already said orange. Wait till, <laughs> wait till I'm at seven and I ask that question again. I'm sure it's coming. Uh, also, I don't remember any of the do, other things you said. Uh, do plantains count? Yes. Plantains, okay. Six. Uh, I already said that. I'm, see, I'm like in, I'm in H-E-B. Wait. <laughs> strawberries would count as a fruit yeah they do i, I double checked on the internet but i did not include any berries on my list oh, I was, come on i was i was be like you know what we're gonna do this without berries well i'm i think that you're capable of that you're you're much more of a con i would say a not a fruit a con i was going to say connoisseur but i don't i think that was a little <laughs> high fluting but you are definitely very well versed in your foods and i think i'm kind of i'm somebody that in another era would have been like a meat and potatoes kind of guy i am definitely have more going on than that dietarily, but I think you're much more versed or you have much more of an eclectic taste. Uh, what kind of meat would you be eating in another era? Well, why aren't I still trying to answer the other question about the fruits and uh, naming 23 fruits? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's I, what I'm, we're doing here. We're naming 23. <laughs> yes. um, I mean, I'm a chick. I, I, first and foremost, if I had to just have one meat for the rest of my life, I would just choose chicken. Because oh, God, I feel like it's already like, gone off the rail so bad. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is, <laughs> this is the podcast. If you had inside, if you signed up for a different kind of podcast where we talk about our game X Seekers of Fortune, I'm sorry to say that that show's long gone. Now this is the Megamoth Studio Super Secret Podcast, and we talk about super secret things like 23 different types of fruit and what kind of vegetable. I mean, what kind of meat you would eat in a different era? 
And I would eat this meat in the same era. I mean, if we're talking about different era meat, I would probably have been somebody who would have been the reason the dodo is no longer with us. I'm sure my what? I'm sure my ancestors had something to do with that. Well, because they were hunted to extinction, isn't that the, like the story? You the, think? You're, yeah, but do you think that your ancestors were? I mean, where were dodos? Were they in New Zealand? I thought they were. In, I thought. Okay, I might be ignorant here. I thought dodos unlikely. <laughs> I thought dodos were an American bird that the settlers first found here in America and like quickly realized they were easy pickings. The low-hanging The dodo fruit. is an extinct flightless bird that was endemic to the island of Mauritius. What is that? I don't know how to say this. Uh, okay. Mauritius. I don't know. Which is east of Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. Meridus? Meridus. Okay. Mauritus. I don't know. Somebody's gonna roast us in the comments for this, as they should. Uh, I'm just looking for the day forward to the day that we are consistently and annoyingly getting roasted in the comments. I'm sure it's not far off. We're just gonna know all the people who are roasting us, and they're gonna be like, you know, oh. Mostly, it's gonna be Lucas. Yeah. Even oh come Will, on! Like, Will would Will would totally produce the podcast, edit it, post it, and then go to the comments and roast us. <laughs> Well, if you knew the details about the dodo and how to pronounce the island that it was on, uh, you stop the podcast now and send us a video of you producing it without or of, of uh, saying it without looking it up. That's I all. love the idea that like we'll post the podcast and then like the number one comment on the podcast is just from Megamoth Studios roasting Megamoth Studios. <laughs> he doesn't even change accounts. He just roasts us from our own account. I, I think we should start that tradition. Yeah. Uh, he instead of sending us a private text message of all the things we got wrong that he had to edit out, he just leaves everything in and then just tells you know points it out to the to the community. Okay, so wait, let's go back to the question. Twenty three fruits. No, that wasn't the question. <laughs> okay, what's the question again? What, why what, is the what, dodo what would, extinct? No, what would you? I think and I think you had an what? interesting answer that I actually wanted to follow up on. What right, food? Right. What food would you could could you foresee making a podcast about? And uh, you said cheese was your low-hanging fruit. And then you said fruit as the second lowest-hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, I, I did say that. So cheese, Spaghetti's what is your... number three, though. What's, what's your relationship with cheese? Uh, I would describe it as something that I, I eat and don't have like a very well-defined relationship because I try not to maintain well-defined relationships with things that I eat. <laughs> you don't want to give it a name and feel bad yeah no i don't i don't want uh-huh. to have like a like a like a touching moment with something that i'm about to consume like that feels i mean oh. if it was a situation where i had to you know like uh kill an animal in the wild yeah and you know eat its flesh for survival purposes i would definitely have like a, a moment of of respect I'd, you know, I'd kneel down and lay my hand on it and, and, and thank it for its, its sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But I'm certainly not doing that with any block of cheese. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you for your sacrifice of, what is it that cheeses do? It's not that they mold, is it? Uh, they, some cheeses do. I feel like if anyone's f- making a sacrifice, I'm making more of a sacrifice eating the cheese to begin with. Because yeah. it's like, it's not like the easiest thing to digest. That's true. I, I probably eat way too much cheese for how hard it is to digest. I almost, I could, I wonder how much my system would change if I were to reset it by not eating cheese for like a week. What percentage of your system do you think is cheese? 90%. <laughs> oh, 
Um, so did this question of the week go the way you wanted it to? <laughs> no, it went, no, it went better. Nice. Um, I guess to answer my own question, though, I mean, I'm, I don't want it like, I know I said food, so I can't answer like wine or beer, which seems like probably the something you can actually make a show about. Bread food is just like I would. I could, yeah, Ooh. I could make. I could see myself eating bread and talking about bread and the different ways it's made. And again, I also feel like bread is like a food that people actually say does taste different based on where you are geographically. A lot of people talk about the New York water having such an impact on the bagels out there. What bread do you think is going to be the most interesting bread in the world? I don't know. I have to go and discover it. But I mean. I would say any, I don't know. It's like anything that's so soft, it's almost doughy is my favorite. You know, it's like, like what? Well, that's, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like the Push inside the of the hot spot. Yeah, I know. I seriously, it's like I'm realizing this is why I need to make a podcast about bread because I don't know as much about bread as I, I should, considering how, how uh, important it is. But, you know, I think like a good French bread, like once you get past the crust, that in the inside part of a good French bread, oof. Uh, yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. I also think that we, we, the, the question of the week segment has probably <laughs> outstayed its welcome. <laughs> it's probably peaked. Well, the next time I'll just think of a better question. <laughs> well, that, I don't even think it's a bad question. I think it's just wow. All right. Well, obviously, I've run out of good questions to ask Danny, but I think that our community probably has plenty of questions on their mind that they would like for us both to answer. So if you have a question, feel free to join us on Discord. You can find us at X Seekers of Fortune there. And on the our, on our server, there's a channel specifically designed for you to be able to ask us questions that we can utilize for the question of the week or maybe even make suggestions to Danny for Danny's little game. Yeah, DM me with those because Joel's not allowed to know. Yeah, he has I, to be blindsided. I know. Well, it's not like I check our Discord, anyways. Nah, well, <laughs> not just kidding. I, don't, I definitely I don't trust am there. you. I feel like you'd sneak in there and start poking around. Okay. Well, you know what? I got to sneak into our Discord and start poking around. So I'll be right back with you after this. Welcome back to the Mega Moth Studio Super Secret Podcast, and let's go ahead and get into today's question so we can get this podcast back on the rails. So, Danny, can you tell us a little bit about how we attempt to stake? out our spot in the card game landscape? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so like, I think, I think one thing that is daunting when you're setting out to make a new game is just how many games are out there right now. I mean, it's a very, very exciting time for games because so many people are making games. I think probably more games are getting made today than ever before. So the market is very, very crowded regardless of category or genre. Um, so, you know, when you're seeking to make a game, you kind of have to have an idea. I mean, look, there's different approaches to making a game. You can make a game because you want to make a game and you don't really care whether or not people play it. You're just doing it because it's a, a passion for you and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're trying to make a game that you think has a place in the marketplace, uh, uh, you know, a game that has a chance of attracting a unique player base um, and be widely adopted, you kind of have to be able to figure out um, wh what what you can do to differentiate yourself from, from what's out there. And the way to do that is to understand what the other games are and who's playing them and try to get a sense of what are the problems that face players in that, in that category or genre. Meaning, you know, we play a lot of games and, and, and 
there's challenges. And for us, we, we know trading card games, specifically Magic, fairly well. And I don't think I'm the first person to suggest that Magic has some issues that could be improved upon. We can call them opportunities. So what we did and, you know, what I think is, is the right thing to do is to think about what, what problems there are out there and sort of seek to differentiate yourself by solving those problems as you um, are coming up with your core design principles for whatever game you're designing. So, Joel, I mean, I think this might be a good, good place for you to step in and kind of give us some ideas of what some of the problems that we tried to solve when we were looking at X Seekers of Fortune. Yeah, Danny, and uh, I mean, I definitely have um, can agree with you there that we did kind of sit down and think about making this game because of, as you said, um, we had some issues with other card games that we we liked but sort of bounced off on, and um, we wanted to we came together kind of with the idea of like how can we build it better. Um, and the three things that we talked about very early on in the process, probably even before we started designing X Seekers of Fortune, but just as we were talking about, you know, what was keeping us out of card games were, th um, things like, well, first of all, the cost, the economics of playing a card game, depending on what level you want to pay at play at, um, can be very daunting. I mean, it's one thing to just go and raid a commons box at a local game store and try to build a deck that way. But if you want to get competitive in especially Magic the Gathering, and I'm sure this is true for the other uh, TCGs out there, um, if you want a competitively viable deck in Magic, depending on the format, you could be looking at either paying you know, nearly $1,000 one time or constantly paying like one to $300 a year just on the cards to just keep in modern or keep in uh, the, you know, tournament viable um, formats. And we were just hoping with X Seekers of Fortune to cut that out a little bit by doing something more of like an expandable card game. Uh, we're still searching for the uh, exact name, but, you know, we want to our game to be a game that when you buy product, you get all of the product, not just a random assortment that you have to go and then hunt down chase rares and other things like that. Um, another pain point that we identified was the barrier of entry on these card games. I don't know about you because uh, I taught you Magic the Gathering, so I know mm -hmm. you had a wonderful teacher who got you up to speed really fast. But when yeah. I was learning Magic the Gathering at the school lunch tables, I had to spend months of my time playing the game and trying to just wrap my head around what's going on. And I almost had to graduate through different um, different players to learn the game better because I had some folks who, you know, knew the basics of, you know, uh, casting, you know, creatures and sorceries and enchantments and swinging, swinging away. But then there was other players who were much better than me and much better than the people I was learning from who actually could teach me about the stack and priority. And so I spent, you know, the better part of like a semester of school going from a novice to being somewhat competent at the game. And, you know, when you're an adult, you don't have six months of your life to dedicate to getting no. good at something like that uh, and doing it every day. Or, you know, if you do, you kind of have to make a project out of it. You basically have to, it's like, I'm going to get good at dancing and I'm going to make a YouTube video about me getting good at dancing and, you know, chronicle the entire thing. Are you uh, doing that? Is that like on the horizon? This is the super secret podcast. Um, okay. <laughs> we have to have our secrets. 
Okay. Anyways, so yeah, so for learning, for, like trying to get caught up from learning from scratch to being able to compete at an LGS is can be can be daunting, especially especially amongst card games. We can get more into that in a bit, but it's one thing to learn one card game, but to learn multiple card games can be very tough. Um, There's and, definitely a barrier to entry, a hundred percent. Yeah, and then and the, but it's also a level of commitment. Like I said, sticking you know after you've put all that time and effort into getting good at the game and uh, you then have to keep up with the game because especially most TCGs out there release hundreds of cards a year, changing the meta constantly. Now this keeps it fresh and when you are committed, this is exciting. I mean, there's a reason that spoiler season for Magic the Gathering is the, like basically it's like Christmas four times a year. Just getting to see new cards, new art, new mechanics, it's wonderful. But you dip out of magic, life gets busy, you need to, you know, reset your priorities, and you come back after a year or two, you're doing homework, buddy. You're getting caught up on how these yeah, mechanics are. Yeah, what are battles? What are you, I, don't, I don't know what battles are. I barely know what sagas are. <laughs> um, so we identified that, the, you know, those as being some of our primary pain points, you know, the and they all come from having to either be pot, having to be pot committed on a game. If you want to play a game and constantly keep up with it, it's going to cost you a lot of money. You're going to have to spend a lot of time getting good at it. And once you're good at it, you're going to have to keep sharpening yourself. Um, and so we were trying to, you know, design with those in mind as like what people might, people who couldn't commit their time and money and, you know, commitment to what they might find desire, you know, exciting and desirable about a game that doesn't necessarily require all that from them. So, so Danny, those were the things that we wanted to sort of, you know, readdress or change um, about the genre. But what were some of the things that we still wanted to hold true to the genre of the TCG and prioritize and making our own entry into the genre? Well, so I think like, the first thing is, you know, like one of the hallmarks of, of, of great TCGs is that the gameplay experience is just phenomenal. Um, the, the meta is, is well balanced. You know, not all TCGs maintain a, a positive meta at all times. Um, but we thought, you know, I, I, you know, obviously everything starts with a good player experience, a good, um, a good meta, you know, localized meta. So trying to make sure that we curated that meta so that when people sat down to play our game, they were reliably having a fun play experience was number one. You know, it had to mm -hmm. feel like a top tier TCG experience. Yeah. Um, the next thing is, it has to be replayable. Like it, if you have it and you play it once or twice, and then you feel like you've seen all the tricks and you figured it out, like that's fun a couple times, but you're not, you're not going to come back to it. Like there's no legs to that. Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to ever see that grow into something really, really exciting and fun and something that you want to stick with. Um, so it has to be highly replayable. So yeah. that's number two. I mean, I, Num just to step in there, I always sell the game to people when they're learning in those first few game, first few games where they're, if they ever show frustration with like, oh man, I wish I knew the card worked that way or whatever. It's, I always remind them, it's like, this is a game that's designed to be played 50 times, 500 times. You know, if yes. you're playing the game for your second time, don't expect to be good at the game, be ex but expect to be having fun and be getting better. And once you get up to like, you know, the numbers of reps that we've put in, the game is even so much more fun, so much more compelling. This is, you know, much closer to a fighting video game than it is to like, a, I don't know, an RPG or something like that. 
Yeah, the first time you get outfoxed, you don't know what outfoxed is. You didn't even know you could get outfoxed. And then all of a sudden you're getting outfoxed and then it scars you and burns it in your brain. And next time you play and every time after that, you live in constant fear of outfox. Mm-hmm. First time you end up in the labyrinth, you're like, I don't understand what this card is, but that's fine. And then you spend a couple turns in the labyrinth and you realize you'll never forget what the labyrinth is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's 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 got to have replayability there has to be things to be discovered and and we've played hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of uh matches at this point and even yesterday we were still coming across interactions that we hadn't fully you know discussed how exactly it would work you know or we'd have to stop and think through it and you know is this something that's clearly you know delineated how it would be you know uh sorted out by the rules as they exist so the next thing, number three, is goes right into replayability. In order for something to be replayable, there has to be high player agency, meaning what you do, the decisions you make, the strategy you employ, the skills you develop, they have to matter in terms of your win percentage. If you feel like every single time you sit down to play, it's going to be complete RNG, just you know, random luck as to who wins, there's only so much you're going to want to do that because in a sense, you're not even playing a game. You're just watching a simulation play out and moving things around with your hands, right? And that's not an experience that TCG players want. TCG players want their skill to matter. They want to be able to out, outwit their opponent, to, to be clever. And so we knew the game had to be able to give player uh, agency to everyone who was competing at a high level. Um, Anything you would add to that, Joel, with respect to, you know, player agency? With respect to player agency? No, I just think that you're completely correct. I mean, that was the criticism we received early in the creation of the game in the Lost Arts era was that the players didn't feel like they had agency. They didn't feel like there was decisions that they could be making in order to advance the, the, the gameplay. It felt like whatever you were dealt is just what you had to do. I guess you could be a player who understands better how the game wants you to play it at that point, but it's not necessarily, uh, you're not taking chances and trying to read the situation to make, you know, one of many choices. So that was just where we wanted to get to have having many choices to make at all times. And any one of them could be the right choice and any one of them could be a trap. Yeah, and it, it, this is why, again, it's important to know what you're designing towards, right? We we established that that player agency was a very important thing for us from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so when we encountered play tests where feedback was, hey, I didn't feel like I had enough decision points, we knew that we needed to fix that because it was a core uh, pillar or a core core uh, component of what we felt was going to make for a successful game in our, in our chosen category. So then the next uh, and fourth... Um, thing that we wanted to preserve was competitive play, organized Mm -hmm. play, tournament play. And this factors, again, back into replayability and into player agency. For games to grow and to stand the test of time, there has to be an enfranchised player base. People have to care about the game. They have to care about being good at the game, and they have to have opportunities to earn things through their skill and um, have great reasons to want to play the game. And so we knew that we wanted to have a game that was going to be skill testing enough and was going to be ripe for competitive play because we knew we wanted to have tournaments. We have so many ideas for fun things to do because, you know, tournaments are excellent opportunities to create events that really give people a sense of 
I don't know, like stepping outside of their everyday life. If you've ever gone to, you know, a GP or I guess they're called Magic Fest now um, or any kind of convention, you know, we talked about going to Comic Palooza. You walk through those doors and you're transported to another world that is inhabited by some of your absolute favorite things in the world. It's a curated experience that feels really magical and really, really, I don't know, like it just feels exciting to be surrounded by things you're interested in and care about. Mm-hmm. And so we knew we wanted to create a game that would give us opportunities to create those experiences for players and give them opportunities to test their skills and demonstrate that, you know, they had a mastery over others in, in the community that was worthy of uh, a championship. For sure. And we've actually started to roll the ball on that competitive play, uh, not to sidetrack us too much, but we have just started our first ex-Seekers of Fortune League on our Discord server. And we had our first, uh, you know, um, game night or league night just mm-hmm. last night. And I, I think there was actually excitement from people, even when it wasn't their game. The game is a very good spectator sport as well when it comes to card games it's very easy it's much easier to read exactly what's going on and hopefully when people who are even casual fans who have played the game you know a handful of times look at the board state they'll understand exactly you know be able to really quickly read the situation and understand you know who's up and who's behind and how things can change it's still very early days for X Seekers of Fortune. And, you know, I firmly believe that the game will grow and become, you know, a, 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 a big um, community uh, with lots and lots of uh, folks coming in and, and interacting with the game in a variety of ways. But the cool thing right now is that we are still small and the opportunity to come in and get involved and have a, a big part in the story of the game is very real right now. Mm-hmm. And the, the, these early competitors... Um, you know, they're going to be people who end up helping us with uh, tournament organization and really helping us solidify the, the game that finally goes to print as we make it through this, this uh, open beta phase. And, you know, if you've ever wanted to be part of something cool from the ground level um, and really get to see something grow and feel like you're a part of, of the history of something, I think that X Seekers of Fortune is a great opportunity. Um, you know, who knows which way it goes, but... I do believe that it is an opportunity to be involved with something special and to, you know, get to be part of that story. Um, and we want people to be part of that story. I mean, this is, this is about, you know, a whole group of people setting out for an adventure and, um, every, every player has their own story. Every player is the, the protagonist and the hero. And we can't wait to, to see what, what stories get told. Oh, yeah. And we definitely need uh, we definitely need your help if you're out there because, you know, it's not Richard Garfield out there running magic tournaments, you know, these mag fests. It's, uh, you know, the great people who came in the, his wake who, you know, f- you know, saw something special and something that really connected to them in Magic the Gathering. And that's true for all of these games. You know, it's the community that really turns them from being just uh, a fun thing to do to being, you know, a lifestyle Right, exactly. It's not about who designed the game. It's about who takes the torch forward and, and, and makes the game, you know, real in the world. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to sort of the last point here, which is just that we wanted to preserve exciting flavor and lore. You know, I think that when you, you do it right, you, you play with cards that feel like you're doing the thing the card is supposed to be representing. So like if it's design right, the action of playing the card feels like you're taking that action, you know, symbolically, metaphorically, however you want to, so that you actually feel 
like you're experiencing more than just playing a card game. You're experiencing unearthing something. You're experiencing taking a leap of faith. You're experiencing making off with something, right? Like all these exciting things that you get to do uh, or see people do in action and adventure stories, you have access to it through game mechanics. And that was something that we feel like that, you know, we've seen different games do really well. Obviously Magic has done it very well at different points. And Estrad was a great example. Um, and so we wanted to, to, to capture that and make people feel like, hey, these aren't just cards that have names. These are cards that embody the flavor and feeling of doing whatever it is that it, it purports to do. Um, and then in the coming days, Joel, maybe you can talk a little bit more about this. You know, we're going to be rolling out lore to help people really fully understand the context in which this uh, whole uh, game is taking place. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely rolling around in my uh, my head. It's funny, I'm, um, you know, uh, in another life, or well, hopefully still in this life, I've had <laughs> dreams of being a writer. And if anything, I haven't had a story so thoroughly kind of um, uh, stake its way into my brain. And, you know, kind of, it's been, it, well, at least at the very least, it's been years since uh, something has compelled me to think as much about the story as our game has. And, I do think the great games out there have a wonderful stories to accompany them. Sometimes the story came first and the game was adapted out of it, but some games have had stories, uh, you know, spring forward from them themselves. I mean, and you know, sometimes from very unexpected places, for example, the Dungeons and Dragons movie recently was a fantastic uh, execution of a Dungeons and Dragons style uh, adventure. And, um, there's been plenty. <laughs> I'm now trying to think of other ones. I mean, it, it's like, a, and also D and D is almost a cheat in, in a way. Um, but I will say that I think much like Magic: The Gathering had the book series, and it has like its ongoing story. You, if you come to X Seekers of Fortune, you should expect not only to get uh, a really solid card game, but also to get uh, what we hope to be at the least a comic series to accompany it, to tell the story of what is going on on the cards and why it's happening. Maybe not every card. I think it is nice to have some shrouded in mystery that you never really explain, but you know, to have an adventure where all the, most of the action X cards are uh, addressed, you know, they visit the sites, they use the relics and they perform the feats in the story, I think would make uh, the game um, much more like, you know, real in people's heads. Yeah, absolutely. And and there'll be more to come on that. Um, I think we have some pretty exciting plans um, and we're going to do things a little bit differently and we'll we'll fill you in on it as it, it comes more into light. But as as Joel mentioned, it's still very much in, in the uh, super secret phase. <laughs> well, that's why you're listening to the podcast to get in on the super secrets. So, Joel, I, I did want to ask you something. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, as we're talking about figuring out like how X Seekers of Fortune fits into the total landscape, as it were, of, yeah. of card games and especially uh, TCGs. I feel like you had a really clever thought about how uh, X Seekers of Fortune could bridge the gap between players of, of different TCGs. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, Danny, um, that was actually very, that was like one of those formative thoughts. It was, you know, um, when we first went to The Adventure Begins, which is the comic store slash game store, the LGS, uh, near you where we first took X Seekers of Fortune in its proxy deck form in order to just 
see if anybody would be interested and want to try playing it. One of the things that I thought while I was there was X Seekers of Fortune when you got into the game with, I, I forget, was the young man's name Justin? Justin. Yeah, Justin. Yeah. Uh, when you got into the game with Justin and I had other players come over to me, you know, I had a Digimon player come over to me and ask me questions and then uh, followed by a Magic the Gathering player. And then I realized that Justin is a flesh and blood player, which is a game you've never played before, or at least not back then. And I was starting to connect the dots. It's like Magic players tend to only play Magic for and, and same with Yu-Gi-Oh players or Pokemon players and for good reason. As I mentioned in our pain points uh, earlier in the episode, the cost and commitment to playing games like this means you kind of have to be enfranchised in one card game. That's what they learned early in the 90s after Magic the Gathering came out and hit the market. You know, uh, player they tried to flood the market with other kind of card games thinking that they could get other kinds of players. But it turned out everything sort of flowed to Magic at the time because you could really only invest yourself completely in one of these card games. And you, you, people weren't playing both Magic and Vampire or what other games were out there at the time. They're, you know, the, you, We could almost do an entire episode about the gaming landscape, the card gaming landscape uh, in the wake, you know, right after Magic came out. Um, but... So if I'm if I'm at the store and I'm playing Digimon and there's a flesh and blood player sitting there and we're both waiting for our respective tournaments to get started, most likely I'm not going to be teaching him Digimon and he's not going to be teaching me flesh and blood. It's just too complicated where we really need to be in the mindset for our game. But what I did think was, well, what if X Seekers of Fortune was there between them? And it's like, we both love card games your card game is too complicated for me and too expensive. And my card game is too complicated and expensive for you. But this card game plays just very similar to the ones we love. It's everything is in one box. So we don't have to worry about keeping up with the meta uh, aside from, you know, maybe adding on a few expansions here and there in the, you know, um, in the short term. And we can just sit down, crack it open, and we can both learn this game really quickly. The, a lot of the pillars of what makes X Seekers of Fortune so, uh, such a special game is because it is, I don't want to use the word simplified, but it's in, it's definitely in the um, uh, lineage of the great TCG card games. So you get to open up the box every, you know, both players can learn the game really quickly. And then these two players who normally wouldn't play with each other and wouldn't get to communicate on that level with each other, which let's face it, if you go to card stores to play card games with people, that's kind of because you communicate at that level, you communicate through the cards and through the play interaction. And now two people who would be strangers to each other can now become friends. And I really do think that, yeah, uh, you know, your store has a Pokemon League and a Magic the Gathering night and a Flesh and Blood draft that pops off Saturdays. But uh, everybody there also can, you know, if anybody's interested, they would also be able to participate in an X Seekers of Fortune League on the side. Oh, and the Flesh and Blood uh, draft pops off at the same time there's a casual Magic event going on. Well, hey, how about we meet up right before the event or stick around afterwards? You know, you played your Magic event, I played my Flesh and Blood event, but we play our X Seekers of Fortune League, league game together while we're there. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what, what you said there that, that is key is that it's not that the games are too complex for them to learn if they committed themselves to it. It's that they're committed to playing a TCG. If I play Magic, I probably am not going to commit myself to learning Yu-Gi-Oh! or Flesh and Blood or Digimon, right? Mm -hmm. And so to have a game that you can just pick up and learn after like two or three hands, two or three rounds, yeah, and then you can play that, 
And the cool thing is then you can also skill test each other, right? Like if you're playing Digimon and I play Magic, do we really know who's better at uh, TCGs? Mm -hmm. Like this is a, a, a great medium for, for inter-TCG rivalry. And obviously Exeters of Fortune is all about rivalry. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love that idea that you had. I think you, you extra, extra, extrapolated. Can I say yeah. that? Let's, let's take that again. You extrapolated you said on it, that right? idea. Well, I did you say just... it right after, after stuttering like three or four <laughs> times. But you, you took that idea to the next level when we were at Uncanny Comics and Games. and you were Because we had the, the head of Yu-Gi-Oh there and uh, one of the best magic players at that go frequences that LGS and they were playing for the first time together and we were like what if you were to get all the Pokemon kids together with all the Yu-Gi-Oh players with all the magic you know spell slingers and it's like okay we're going to do like a interleague rivalry team uh, magic team flesh and blood team Pokemon team Digimon team Yu-Gi-Oh it's exactly. pretty cool exactly and I think X Seekers of Fortune can be that a uh, common denominator not the lowest common denominator, just a common <laughs> denominator. And I believe a high quality, fun and action packed one at that. Yeah. And that's the key, right? Like this, that when we talk about staking out our spot on the landscape for card games, the plan was never to have people stop playing the TCG that they love. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop playing magic yeah. just because I made X Seekers of Fortune, but I can play magic and X Seekers of Fortune. And one of the cool things about X Seekers of Fortune is it is simple enough to learn and it's self-contained so that new players who would never come in to play a more complex game because they're too intimidated have an on-ramp. So you can learn X Seekers of Fortune and then you can teach your friend who's afraid to learn Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh or Flesh and Blood. And then once they learn X Seekers of Fortune and learn how TCG play feels and how fun it is, then they've got a stronger carrot to lead them down the rabbit hole further and say, hey, you want to try Magic now? You want to try Yu-Gi-Oh? How about Flesh and Blood? And then the other thing is because the cost is limited and because we do self-contained curated metas and everything you need is in a box and you can pick up a box here, learn it, and you're done. If you pick up a box three years later, all you have to learn is what's in that box and you're done. You don't have to stick with it. It helps for players that are burnt out on trying to keep up with the TCGs. They still want to play a TCG. They like the flavor. They have the fun, but they can't keep up with the latest magic meta they don't know what cards they need to add to their commander deck they don't know how to play modern or what you know the the latest draft format is there's 12 products a month they're overwhelmed right mm -hmm. this is a good way exactly exactly i mean honestly like a lot of this is about like joel's burnt out on magic he still loves it but it's just been it's too much to keep up with and i've been much more involved in magic i want to play magic with joel he's not so interested in it so what do we do? We designed a game that we can play and enjoy and get the fun that we had when he taught me how to play Magic without him having to keep up with it. And, and, and I'm trying to keep up with it, but there's so much going on that, you know, you know, Lord of the Rings leads into Commander Masters, which leads into, you know, all these, you know, pre-constructed decks. Mm -hmm. And now we're already talking about whatever it is, uh, Wilds of Eldorain and, 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 and the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And who knows what else is around the bend? Doctor Who, you know, like it's just, it's so much to keep up with, to know what's relevant. We just wanted to create a, a, a game that you knew was very, very simple, very self-contained, but still had the same fun. Exactly. And, you know, uh, could, you know, and as we've said, can scale, scale up as well from 1v1 to a four-player free-for-all uh, to give us both the... Uh, the draft night, you know, showdown versus the, uh, you know, uh, 
brews and you know what is it, what is it called it's the like pub night you know the beer mm-hmm. and pretzels type style uh commander game so mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah it's a very esoteric long road to go down to decide oh i'm no longer playing magic with my friends so how about we just create a new game that we can play together but we did and it was a, it's been a wonderful journey so far and we're just now excited to get that game out there for y'all to play as well um, no one's ever accused us of being normal people, Joel. That's that's fair. <laughs> I, that is very fair. Um, I felt like there was something that I now we hey well we can cut this out if Danny doesn't want uh, want to commit to this and Danny you don't have to commit to this right now but we're talking about all these different TCGs and we both know that we're Magic players and one thing that I've been really pushing uh, now that we're the super secret or the mega. The Mega Moth Studio Super Secret Podcast. I've been pushing for us to be doing different kinds of content, and I'm not I'm not guaranteeing that we can hit them all. But there, from my count, there's what maybe four or five popular TCGs. You know, with three being the the, the main ones, uh, and I'm really wanted to take a tour of those. So if you're in the audience and you have like the best way to get into to you know get a taste of One Piece or Super, uh, Dragon Ball Super or uh, where we should start with Digimon. We would love to hear about that because I really want to play some other games with Danny and get an idea of what else is going on in the TCG landscape. So just something that I'm positing out there. Danny, would you be interested in learning how to play uh, Digimon with me? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to learn Digimon. I'd love to learn Yu-Gi-Oh. I've started to onboard some information about Flesh and Blood. Ultimately, you know, one of the cool things about about game design is is once you start doing it, you want to see how everyone else is doing it and learn as much as you can and add so many new tools to your toolbox so you can create the best possible player experiences. Yeah. So um, part of that is 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 getting, you know, dumping in the deep end and, and learning everything you can about about the games. I mean, we are honestly, you know, woefully ignorant about Yu-Gi-Oh and 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 Flesh and Blood and, and Digimon, but that's not for a lack of desire to learn. It's just, you know, what we've said at the beginning. I mean, if you've dedicated yourself to magic, that's a lot of complexity to onboard to mm-hmm. learn something else that's equally complex. Yeah, I mean, that's a commitment. So, we're willing to do it. Um, I don't know how deep we can get, and also have the bandwidth to to design our <laughs> own game. Fortune. Yeah. But it might inspire our designs as well, like learning how those games operate. And, you know, I think we just owe it to ourselves so that way we can have an honest to goodness conversation with all these wonderful people who play, you know, who, you know, when we sit down and play against a Pokemon player that we, you know, can at least have an idea of how their game works and be able to communicate how our game is similar but different, you know, in the same way that it's easier for us to teach X Seekers of Fortune to a Magic player because we played Magic and we can speak their language. I think that, you know, having that same, uh, you know, shorthand with uh, the Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon players. And, uh, you know, yeah. maybe, if One Piece takes off, maybe I have a feeling maybe it's the Super or Dragon Ball Super might actually be the one that's the, the long running one. But we'll see. Um, yeah, I think I would expand that, though, and say if there's anybody out there who has any game they want to show us, especially if you're a game designer and you want to show us your game, you know, we'd be happy to ch- play test it. Um, we want to learn everything we can about as many different types of game as we can, because, um, yeah, I mean, we plan to be at this for a while and, you know, we want to, we want to make fun games in a bunch of different categories and genres. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's a tabletop game or a card game or some bizarre form of hand to hand combat, we would be interested in learning about it. Oh, 100%. 
So number one, okay. So if if the, you know, let's look at it from the standpoint of if you're trying to design your own game and you're trying to figure out how to you know define what kind of game you want to make and you know hope to have a good space in in, in the landscape. Um, you know, here here are kind of the key takeaways. So when making a game, it will benefit you to understand the genre landscape or category landscape. Okay, so understand who the players are, what people are doing, what mechanics are used, what people like, what people don't like. Identify how your game will differ from the other games in the genre and how it will be similar. And then identify player problems to solve as a means of creating an attractive differentiation for your game. And then finally, set out to solve those problems from the ground up in your design. So, you know, just quickly to recap, you know, you're, you're getting to understand a category or genre you're identifying, you know, problems that certain players face that you think could be solved. You're um, using those to differentiate your game, and then you're implementing, you know, those problems as, uh, as 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 goals to solve for as you're you're designing your game from the ground up. Um, and and that's that's it. You know, um, if there's anything that you feel like we've missed in this discussion, you know about you know, differentiation and, and identifying player problems, you know, we'd love to hear from you either in the discord or, you know, if you want to send us a, a DM, but yeah, that's, that's about it. I think, um, for this main topic. So on the, so on the next episode of the Megamoth studio, super secret podcast, we've come a long way, baby. Maybe it's time to take stock of what we've accomplished and how our expectations have been completely defied by the work we've done and the work we've done with other people. Anyways, should we also talk about how like sometimes we we also suck? Yeah, well, like like me right there with the uh, the. This is my uh, favorite thing to talk about. Uh, you know, we, we've definitely done some sucking too. So, I guess we can you know we can talk about sucking uh, on next week's <laughs> episode. We suck. Anyways. Uh, before we roll out, Danny, I think you have something for us, or for me specifically, but maybe for the audience as well. Your game of the week. Yeah, I've got a game. I've got a game for you. Um, let me see here. Which one should we do? Okay, so this game is um, this game is a little half baked, but you know, most of my my games are are not fully baked. This one I don't really have a great name for. We'll just call it you know, uh, spirited. How about that? Does that sound fun? Yeah, actually, it sounds like a real game. It sounds like I can see the box at the store right now. Yeah, this one wouldn't have a box. It'd kind of just be in a Ziploc bag. Oh, sorry. This is uh, this is definitely more of me asking you a bunch of bizarre questions. <laughs> would I find a Ziploc, would the Ziploc bag be like out in the ditch behind my house? You have a lot of a lot of Ziploc bags in the ditch behind your house. I mean, every now and then you'd find something in a Ziploc bag in the ditch behind your house growing up. How much time did you spend in this ditch? <laughs> Just enough. Okay. So in this game, uh, we're going to talk about your, you know, you know, everyone's, everyone's always had the conversation about like, what's your spirit animal, right? And I think you've said in the past that it's uh, the, the dodo. Uh, that your ancestors killed on the shores of America when they came over. Yeah, because uh, that's totally where the Dodo Santa was from. Santa Maria. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they didn't even stick around for the Mayflower. They just uh, hopped right on the first boat uh, yeah. to club some Dodos. Okay. All right, So, but obviously we're not going to ask you about your spirit animal because that's 
obviously a bear, right? Like you're probably going to go with some sort of bear. I, I think it, at the very least it has been a bear. <laughs> yeah, and that they're bear. Yeah. Some, something like that. Okay, but I've got four other opportunities for you to answer uh, what your spirit thing is in other categories. Okay. So number one is what is your spirit liquid? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, like that's uh, that's a really, you know, I used to say that I drink what is it? I drink coffee in the morning, water throughout the day, and beer at night. So I feel like it has to be one of those, and I almost feel like it would be cheating to call it water. So it's either coffee or beer, and I've co- I've leaned back, kind of leaned back on the beer, and I've upped my coffee game. I actually now. Uh, with my girlfriend's influence, I'm now a uh, pour over guy. I'm doing pour over coffees. So I'm going to have to say coffee, you know, a, 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 just a plain, like a, a really good coffee bean coffee is my spirit beverage. What is your spirit article of clothing? Black V neck t shirt. Okay. What is your spirit social faux pas? Um, that's a great question. I have so, I have so many. <laughs> you have so many spirit social faux pas? Well, I mean, I have so many faux, social faux pas. I'm trying to think of which one I could elevate to the, to the spiritual level. Give me one second. There. Okay. Thank you. So just to recap, you said you were trying to figure out which faux pas you can elevate to the spiritual level. Yeah, exactly. Okay, go for it. What what are we doing? What would? <laughs> well, not okay. Well, now I'm like trying to think. Like, is it the, the faux pas I perform? It's the faux pas that you most identify with on a spiritual level. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, they only get worse from here. So please, I know. I'm trying to. I, well, I'm just trying to think of like all the different things. Um. I would say tr- trying to edge your way into a conversation. I feel like, I don't know if that, if that's necessarily a faux pas, but like, you know, like I'm the kind of person who like, if I overhear a conversation, I want to try to j- join in. I think I had to train myself out of that, but I would, you know, I would often see myself into a conversation. So yeah, I'd say how that. does one see themselves into a conversation? Well, you just, you know, you're, you get to within earshot of the conversation and then somebody says something that you can react to. And then you just start, you know, it's con- contributing to said conversation. It was very common, like, you know, in open work environments, like, you know, in, in restaurants, when you're a server or something like that, it's kind of easy to just try to jump into, you know, a tables conversation if you're not. Oh, I thought you were gonna say coworkers. You're talking about just strangers enjoying their meal. You just like jump in and start talking to them. Oh, uh, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, you know, or at the very least contribute your two cents. Had to get over that one. Let's just say. Why did you get some strange reactions? I think I just started realizing that, you know, I got enough reaction, negative reactions for me to realize that that wasn't something people enjoyed me doing. How would people react negatively? You could just tell, you know, you could just tell when somebody's like not like kind of not inviting you into their world. They're just like, dude, I'm just trying to eat my sandwich to talk to my friend. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't need to know your opinions about the Star Wars trilogy. What, what is your spirit affliction? Did you say affliction? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like the t-shirts, the tap out t-shirts. 
No, no, no. That, no, no. that like would be disease, a d- some sort of illness, disability, injury. Well, I mean, like uh, due to my recent, uh, you know, happenings and just like the way I conduct my life, even after them, I think things like anything uh, intestinal related, would have, like you know, like intestinal, you know, some sort of intestinal infection, I guess. Um, <laughs> Your spirit affliction is an intestinal infection. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's like it. it, it, it it nearly killed me, so I think it's fair to say that, uh, like, I have like it took me to a different, sp- you know, plane spiritually. <laughs> All right, last one. Yeah, I this is this is some low hanging fruit, so don't give this one too much thought. What is your spirit infamous person? I don't know why he came to mind, but Winston Churchill is Winston Churchill infamous. I think he has infamous infamous qualities to him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, he he was a naughty boy. He was a naughty lad in some ways. I mean, he was a politician. What, what ways are you uh, spiritually aligned with him? I I don't. I, you just said don't think about it too much. <laughs> so I didn't. I well, mean, you still have to answer. I why. feel like I should have thought about this more, Joel. <laughs> I I think like he. I don't know enough about him to say besides like what I've seen from movies and cultural osmosis. I haven't like, you know, done a deep dive on Winston Churchill, but I think the fact that he wanted to, uh, you know, he both wanted to attain power and be sort of like in the thick of it, especially at the, you know, during, you know, the most trying time of uh, Britain's history or one of the most trying times of Britain's history with the war. I guess I just sort of identify with that. You know, I like being in the middle of the situation. Um, and I'm not saying I'll do anything to get there because, but I did, we've done a lot to create a situation that I can be in the middle of. Yeah. Well, I would say it's very similar to being in the middle of World War II. <laughs> well, with the way some people react when you have sent them an email, geez. <laughs> yeah. I, <I've>, yeah. <laughs> now I can read between the lines when people say regard, you know, uh, as per my last email. Ooh. Oh yeah. I, I know what you're saying, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a lackluster uh, game of the week. Would you play it again? <laughs> I mean, I think there's something here. I'll say that you can go back to the drawing board on this one. I think like the idea of that you would have to quickly say the first thing that popped into your mind and then justify it. I felt much more interested in the Winston Churchill versus everything else. Oh, okay. Well, here, let, me, let me give you, let me give you uh, what is your spirit form of torture? At that box that uh, that like that coffin with the spikes in it that you, they close on you, like uh-huh. just the idea of you know it it How kind is this of related to you though. Well, like I said, I thought that the game was funnier when you had to justify a quick the first thing that came to your mind. Like, well, justify it. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. Okay, <laughs> it's it's sort of like me, like you know, especially you know, like. I feel sometimes like I really want to be close with people. Like when I like somebody, I want to be close with them all the time. And I fear that I am like those spikes, the closer I get, the more I prick people and the more that they uh, suffer due to it. Okay. Well, this has been a game of the week with Joel and me. (laughs) Yes, it has been. Well, like I said, I, I, I think there's something there. We could we could turn that into some sort of psychological party game. I, I, when I think of party games, maybe that's a that could be a potential problem and uh, Kervin weigh in on this one. But I think of party games as being like psychological, like 
you know, games you would play with a psychologist, essentially. Like, they should be getting <laughs> you to the root of your issues. Like, you're just saying, like, you should show up to to your uh, psychologist at, at, at the retirement home with a party game? Like, what is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, like, a good party game should reveal something, like, get you to reveal something about yourself and think about things about yourself that you normally don't. Like, you know, for example, Cards Against Humanity can make you think about how horrible your sense of humor is and just yeah. how awful it is that you've found yourself in a situation where you're playing Cards Against Humanity with the people that you thought were closest to you. Yep. Anyways. And, well, on that note. Yeah, we might as well get to the outro today. This has been an interesting episode. We're quite a quite a kickoff to the Mega Moth Studio Super Secret Podcast. Episode 10 of our podcast, but the first one that was super secret. So. Don't tell anybody. Now, if you did want to tell some people, you could tell them about our social media, if you must. That would be TikTok, Megamoth Studios, Instagram, X underscore seekers underscore of underscore fortune, and Facebook, X Seekers of Fortune. As I said earlier, you can just Google X Seekers of Fortune. You're going to find yourself our website where you can find our, where you can link to our Discord and join our wonderful community there and join a league to play X Seekers of Fortune. Or you can also find just the website uh, Tabletopia where X Seekers of Fortune is hosted. So please Google X Seekers of Fortune. You're allowed to do that. Just don't talk about the show. Um, we don't have any upcoming events on the calendar as of right now, but don't be surprised if uh, future Joel comes in here with some urgent news to tell you about. Yeah, but you know, Tuesday Night X is a thing and will remain a thing every Tuesday from 8 p.m to midnight central standard time it is the place to play the executors of fortune league and participate and have some fun with some amazing rivals and uh yeah we would love to see you on tuesday night x live on discord so uh follow the link in our our link trees which can be found in the tiktok and instagram bio or you can find a link on our website and we'd love to have you we will Welcome you with open arms and uh, get you out on adventure. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Uh, excellent point, Danny. The Tuesday Night X, it's going to be going on from here until and probably until we're in our graves. So keep it going. Keep showing up. We'd love to see you. weeks from now. <laughs> well, if my uh, spiritual affliction has anything to do with it. Uh, anything else you want to add before we uh, sign off, Danny? Uh, no, I just want to reiterate, nobody tell anyone about the podcast because it is super secret. All right. Well, with that, I have been Joel, your host, reminding you that you must start somewhere. So why not here? And I'm Danny with apple, mango, orange, lemon, lime, grapefruit, grapes, bananas, peaches, nectarines, watermelon, cantaloupe, honeydew, plantain, kiwi, passion fruit, guava, jackfruit, dragon fruit, lychee, plum, tangerine, and pineapple. Theme music by James Hilden, produced and edited by William Wymore. Bleeps by William Wymore.